So well, let's bring him in. Uh, I was uh, thrilled to hear he wanted to come on the program and hang with us today. He's your congressman from the 22nd District. Ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Brindisi on the block, ESPN Radio. Congressman, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Brent. Thanks for having me on. And it sounds like you had a little Pearl Jam intro for me, so I really appreciate that, too. Just for you. Absolutely <laughs> just for you. That wasn't randomly picked by the computer. That was I, I knew you were a Pearl Jam fan, and I'm glad to hear you're a PJ fan, by the way. Good stuff. Uh, I got my child of the 90s, of course. I grew up in the grunge era. That's uh, my favorite band right there. There you go. It's funny how you, know, you, you only listen to music to a certain point in life. I find myself doing the same thing, like all this great music that's come out, and I listen to like the same stuff from 1991 to 97 basically that's my whole it doesn't, portfolio it, does, it doesn't go old i mean why why switch if you like a good thing why switch that's exactly right so it's great to have you there's just so much going on and so much to discuss so uh let me just start here it's a simple question maybe not a simple answer but where are we here what's what's a good way to t- kind of take a breath and tell people where we're at in this whole coronavirus fight well, I, I hope we're somewhere uh, near the near the end of this thing. Hopefully, we're, we're we've reached our peak, at, and hopefully, we're somewhere on the on the downward spiral here, because this has been going on for quite some time now, and the effect it's had on our our public health, the effect it's had on the economy, has just been devastating. So, I'm hoping there's some light at the end of the tunnel. I, I think we got to continue to to listen to the public health experts in terms of um, all the social distancing and everything, but. Um, right now, I think the most important thing for me is just helping those small businesses, the people unemployed right now, our, our healthcare workers and frontline workers, getting them the assistance they need. Uh, that's really what we've been focused on in Congress right now is getting them getting them help. That stimulus check is starting to arrive for for some people even today. It's it's arriving in their bank accounts, and we'll see that arrive over the next week or so here. But you just said it, Congressman, helping those small businesses. What kind of resources are available to them? Who can they reach out to, and, and what what is out there for them to, to seek that help? So right now, the, the big program is the, uh, the Paycheck Protection Program that uh, many small businesses are now applying for that through their lenders. It's about $350 billion that Congress allocated towards this program to really help small businesses while they're shut down or to deal with the impact of the coronavirus, and they can use that money to uh, pay staff to pay for expenses like their rent or utilities or mortgage payments, things like that. Um, that that is something that we're probably going to have to add some more money into that program because uh, there has been so much interest in it over the last week and a half. Um, but really, that's really to help businesses through this time period. And if they uh, use it for qualified expenses, it can be turned into a, a, a forgivable uh, loan so they don't have to pay it back to the government. Congressman, you had some experience with this. You had, you had to self-quarantine at some point, right, and coming in contact with another congressman that had unfortunately uh, contacted COVID-19. I know it was done out of an abundance of caution, but everything was okay there, right? Everything was good. Thank you. Yeah, I had a, a good friend of mine, uh, another uh, freshman member of Congress, who, who actually later tested positive, and uh, I had had dinner with him the, the week before when I was in Washington, but Thankfully, uh, I made it through the quarantine, the two weeks with no symptoms, and I'm I'm good to go. Um, not that there's any place to go right now, anyways. But uh, I made it through with uh, an uneventful quarantine. So you're in Utica now. You're in the Mohawk Valley, kind of waiting this out, and, and Congress is going to get back into session soon here. 
what are what are the priorities when you get back? I would imagine some of what you just said is is on your plate in terms of helping small businesses and maybe another stimulus package on the way. But what with you're out of session now, but still trying to help. But when you get back into session, what do you think is are going to be the top priorities? I think, like you said, I think we're going to add, I have to add, add some more money into the small business program there uh, for stimulus. We're going to have to help our, our hospitals and our healthcare workers. That's one of the big concerns right now. Is uh, hospitals had to cancel all their non-urgent surgeries, so they really haven't. They don't have any revenue coming in right now, and they've had to gear all their focus towards the the pandemic. So all of our hospitals are just uh, small community hospitals and. Um, you'd hate to see them have to cut back on staff or salaries or things like that, especially during a pandemic. We need to be uh, boosting them up right now so they can get through this and certainly support our health care workers and our frontline workers. So that's a, a huge priority for me as well. Congressman Anthony Brindisi is our guest here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. And Congressman, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you propose a bill, the Made in America Emergency Preparedness Act, to help get more of that made here. It's amazing. Our uh, county executive, Ryan McMahon, has said this a couple of times. Whoever can figure out how to make PPE in this country, you're going to come out of this pretty rich because we're so reliant on getting this from China and other places right now that if we can figure out how to produce this here in America, it's only going to help uh, you know, in the future here because we're going to need this stuff for a long time going forward. No question about it. Actually, we, I introduced a bill with a colleague of mine from Pennsylvania. It's the, uh, the Made in America uh, Emergency Preparedness Act. And basically what it says is that for, for, for these essential items, you know, the PPE, the, the pharmaceuticals, the uh, national emergency preparedness type equipment, uh, that stuff's got to be made in this country. And we can't be relying on China, which is an adversary of ours, uh, during a time of national emergency, or, or God forbid we ever went to war with them, uh, they could just shut down the supply chain. So what, what our bill simply does is says that certain federal agencies like the Department of Defense or the CDC or other federal agencies that have to go out and procure this equipment, that they do so from American manufacturers. Uh, that's going to help create more jobs in our country. It's going to help American manufacturing, which is what we what we need right now. And I'll, I'll just give you one quick story. I have a, one company here in the district that makes this stuff, you know, medical gowns and things like that. And, and the owner told me, he said, you know, look, I, I, 99% of this stuff is made over in China. I'm like one of uh, the 1% of companies that makes it here. You know, we can't, we can't be real, so reliant on adversaries. We've got to do something about it. And that's one of the lessons I'm taking away from this whole thing. Yeah, something really to think about and for business owners to think about going forward here for sure. Congressman, uh, it, it's interesting these days about the message that thousand, you brought up China, and it's hard to trust what China's put out there, frankly, in terms of information. And, you know, we heard about that with the World Health Organization and President Trump mentioning that yesterday. And, you know, I think Governor Cuomo and his daily briefings have been pretty reliable, pretty straightforward, and he's gotten a lot of marks for that. I'm curious what you think about that. But what is to you the best source of reliable daily information? Because it seems like even information we're getting from some trusted sources, sometimes, frankly, you even have to question that. Yeah, it's hard these days, really. I, I say, like, you know, to try to stay away from anything on Facebook these days because it's never, it's never reliable. And I, what I tell people is, you know, if you're getting your news from, from one source and one source alone, then there's a problem. You really got to go out there and try and look at multiple sources. Look at you know, look at the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Look at CNN and Fox News. Look at uh, stuff from both sides so you're getting an, a, a, a more fair and balanced uh, approach here. So 
you know, that's that's kind of the key for me is just looking at multiple sources. And um, I think the president's uh, in right in, in respect to China because they, they were not very forthcoming with uh, information to begin with here. Uh, they should be held accountable for that, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty of time uh, to talk about w- what that might look like after this pandemic ends. But you know, right now we've got to focus on the, on the public health crisis. We've got to listen to the experts, and, and that's really what's key uh, for all of us right now is getting past this, this health crisis and then starting to reopen the economy because, you know, we don't want to reopen too soon. If you do, you see a second wave of this pandemic come, come by, and then that'll just make the economy suffer longer term. It's hard to see the forest through the trees in a way, Congressman. But on that note, when we do start to come back, what, what does that look like right now? It's hard to say. I think there's going to have to be a, a real uh, ramping up of testing. We're going to have to get a lot more tests out there. That's been slow. Um, we're going to have to figure out a system to start opening some industries around the country uh, quicker. I think there's going to be a lot of reluctance uh, on large gatherings, especially over the summertime, and that's why I'm interested to see how some of these professional sports leagues are going to handle their seasons over the next couple months. Um, you know, because they're they're obviously all all large gatherings, so I think that's going to be a challenge. Um, but we got to start slow, uh, and we got to do so based on a plan uh, that's built on on public health and, and not politics. I'm thinking locally too about all the events in Central New York uh, in the summertime. We certainly love our warm weather events and the concerts and the the, the gatherings there, and how that's going to work, and how people will be confident to go to those, and what their confidence level will be. So it, there's just it's just whoever gets out there first, and you mentioned, and that's what I want to ask you about sports. It seems like. We all took this seriously the most when the NBA canceled, right? And all the other sports yeah. followed suit. And that really hit home with people like, wait a minute, this this is really serious. So whoever gets out there first and demonstrates that, hey, we can do this, I guess, is, is going to be the big guinea pig to get us back out there. So um, it's interesting, Congressman, the role that, that sports plays in this thing, not only in public psyche, but just kind of showing how we move forward. I think you're exactly right. I think that that's when it became real for a lot of us when when the NBA suspended their season when Rudy Gobert tested positive and then you know you hear Tom Hanks test positive and you're starting to say, "Wow, this is this is real. Um it's a problem." So I think you know sports is always kind of that canary in the coal mine there and um we'll see how it goes, but I, you know I I think everyone's longing for some kind of an escape right now and that's why the absence of sports has really been so hard on on all of us because it's it's the one escape from so many different things politics for me uh for others it you know might be other things but um we, we got to have some of that back whether it's in front of fans or or on their own that that's something we got to determine down the road um but we need some outlet right now uh to get us through these these long days and long weeks of uh really no no outlet yeah, as a Yankee fan I'm sure uh, that outlet is a big hole in in your life right now boy that team was as a Red Sox fan, it pays me to say this, but they were looking pretty loaded. And, and you know, it, it felt like for the first time in a long time that the Yankees were expected to win the World Series this year. And who knows, baseball could come back, but uh, uh, it, we're missing it right now for sure. Yeah, well, ba- baseball, MLB is the one sport I think they're going to have the toughest situation here because it seems like they have the shortest window. I mean, NBA. You know, I've gotten. I'm a, I'm a long-suffering Knicks fan when it comes to uh, basketball, and I've you know this is uh, usually a depressing time of the year for <laughs> for Knicks fans. Um, but I've gotten a little bit more into NBA, probably because my son is 12 years old now and he's into NBA. Um, but MLB, it'll be tough uh, to see how they're going to be able to do this. 
the longer this thing lasts. And uh, I think other leagues like uh, like NBA and NFL, they'll, they'll make it through it. But I think MLB is the one question mark here as to how they're going to come back and whether they have enough time to do so. A couple more for you here, Congressman. This is Congressman Anthony Brindisi joining us here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. It seems, just from, from my view, that you, you work really well with uh, our congressman here in, in central New York and Syracuse and, and John Katko, and that's yeah. encouraging to see, frankly, because I know you're from different parties, but you know you work for the people here in central New York, and, and that seems to be the first priority from both of you, even though you're on different sides of the aisle. How, how would you describe your working relationship with Congressman Katko? Well, he's he's probably one of my closest friends in Congress, and it, it's a relationship that's very genuine. We we enjoy each other's company. We like working together. Um, we don't agree on everything, but where we can agree, we work together because we know that we represent a region, Central New York, together. Um, and it's it's better for uh, the public. It's better for all of us if you have your representatives working together as opposed to being uh, at odds all the time. And John and I are also part of this group uh, in Congress. It's called the the Problem Solvers Caucus, which is the only bipartisan caucus in the entire House of Representatives. It's 25 Democrats, 25 Republicans. You can't join this caucus unless you get a member on the other side of the aisle to join with you. It's kind of like Noah's Ark. You go in together. Uh, two by two there. Uh, so it's, you know, we, we sit down every week. We look at issues where we can work together. Most of the bills that I've gotten passed are, are with a Republican colleague of mine from that caucus. And John and I have been doing a lot of work together, especially during this pandemic, uh, trying to get more equipment for healthcare workers and a whole host of issues that we're working on right now. Seems the presidential election has come into focus here, and uh, Joe Biden's getting a lot of endorsements. Uh, are, are you ready to endorse uh the former vice president for the Democratic nominee for president. Well, I'm going to I'm going to support Joe, um, but to me, the most important thing right now is just is getting the help to small businesses, getting the the, the healthcare uh, industry and the and our frontline workers the equipment they need right now, and just helping us get through this public health crisis. I think we're all we'll all be back to politics this fall, but I think all of us right now is. We should be focusing on, on ending this public health crisis. That that will be a win for everybody, politics aside. Yeah, politics aside, certainly. It's interesting, though, we're talking about getting back into sports and other things, Congressman. But, boy, the election obviously is, is critical and important. We just saw a dry run in Wisconsin of having some sort of primary in an election at a time when maybe uh, public safety was put aside for that. And, you know, they did it, and some interesting results came out of that. So hopefully by November we're going to have this a little bit more figured out, but plans have to be made for that. What are your early thoughts on how we're going to do an election during a pandemic? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, we got to figure this out quickly because you're going to have primaries that are coming up. I know we have a primary here in New York that's coming up in June. Um, so we're going to have to figure out um, what what the best way and the safest way to get people to be able to vote is. Um, I know we have we don't have mail-in voting here in New York. We do have absentee voting, and I think the, the governor has said that uh, uh, the coronavirus is a, is a reasonable excuse to be able to get an absentee ballot. Uh, which is a good thing. Um, but we're going to have to figure this out. We also got to figure out, too, you know, just in terms of Congress, how to figure out how to vote um, remotely. That's a big debate that's happening right now in Congress because uh, we got to go back eventually to pass some more legislation, get some more economic stimulus out there. 
uh, and I, and we got to figure out a way to do do so even remotely because you know having uh, 400 plus members in in one room uh, during a public health crisis may not be the most uh, safe thing to do, but we got to still exercise our oversight authority and our appropriations abilities, uh, and we got to figure out how to do that in a safe way. Congressman, uh, I'm going to close on a light note here because uh, I enjoy sharing this story, but particularly with somebody with your title. So I'm going to go back to the year 2000. I was actually working in radio in Utica at the time, and I was crossing over between news and sports. So this is in October. This is right around the World Series. It's a Subway Series, the Mets and the Yankees. And we're all waiting around. It was at a a campaign event for Rick Lazio, who was running for Senate at the time. And... Sherry Buller, the great Sherry Buller, comes up to me and he says, listen, Yankees in four, Louis Soho is the hero. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it, that's exactly what happened. So there you go. The man was a prophet. Well, I love Sherry Buller. And, and uh, you know, the great thing about Sherry, too, when he represented the district is he had Cooperstown in the district. And he was able to get all these old Hall of Famers to come down to Washington. I, I would hear the stories, and I still hear the stories about how he could bring the Hall of Famers down and introduce them to other members of Congress. They'd meet their 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 boyhood or childhood hero, and uh, Cher was always a hero for being able to do that. Yeah, he was a great man for sure. Well, he Congressman, thank you so much for your time, continued uh, efforts and luck and success to you and in dealing with everything here and helping us out here in Central New York. Welcome on the show anytime, but uh, thanks for your perspective and, and coming on with us today. Great to be with you, Brent. Thank you for continuing to bring us uh, the news and sports and helping us get through this tough time. Try my best. Try my best, Congressman. Our next guest is a graduate of the Fine Newhouse School of Communications at Syracuse University, once made up half of the Friday Sports Connection. It was once a television anchor, News Channel 9 in Yakima, Washington, now a lead play-by-play voice on ESPN and is discovering the virtue of M&M's in potty training. Ladies and gentlemen, Anish Shroff joins us on the block, ESPN Radio. How are you, sir? My friend, uh, good to talk to you. And just a quick aside, I can't tell you how awesome it is for the people of Central New York and Syracuse that you still get to do this every day because a lot of us wish we could go and talk about sports every day, and we can't. You get to do it, and people need that right now. So uh, you may not know it, but uh, I can tell you, man, I mean, that's – you're a needed voice um, in a community right now which misses sports. That is kind of you to say, and trust me, I count my blessings, Anish. The fact that I could do this show, I'd do it from anywhere. I'd do it in my house. I'd do it on the moon if I had to. The fact that I can still come here and do it and, and provide that for people, it's it's a true blessing, and I appreciate you saying that, my friend. I know it's tough for you because this would have been a great time to be out there calling lacrosse games and, and really into the flow. We're beginning into the heart of the season here. And that's kind of where I wanted to start. And he's like, we got cut off, I think, before we could form some real true opinions about the lacrosse season. But when it did get cut off a month ago, which is amazing to think about, but where were we in college lacrosse? What were you starting to see? We were just starting to see the outline of the puzzle. You know, think of a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, and we had just put the edges together. We still had to fill in the rest of it. We had to fill in the meat of it. And so a lot of our early observations, I don't know how true they were. For example, take Syracuse. Um, I certainly think Syracuse was a top-five team. Certainly was a top-four team. Were they the best team in the country? It's hard to say, given the schedule that they play, right? I mean, and that's kind of... 
where I stood with a lot of teams. And, uh, you know, the, the Cuse is a good example. I mean, almost lost to Army. They were bailed out by the goalie. If you watch them objectively, you say, listen, there's no real weakness. Uh, but do they play the same schedule that Yale played or Penn State played? No. Do they have the wins that Cornell had? No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you kind of want to see them tested in conference. How do they match up when they play Duke and Carolina and Virginia and Notre Dame and some of these other teams uh, that they were going to face in the second half of the season, you never got to see that play out. So it's kind of like a Polaroid that hasn't been shaken. There was a big uh, news item in the lacrosse world yesterday, Anish. Dave Petromala and Johns Hopkins, uh, the old mutual parting of ways there. And, boy, we could spend the rest of this show outlining the impact that he has had on the sport, let alone Johns Hopkins. But from best of what you understand, what led to this parting of ways, and can you, as best as you can, describe the impact that he had on the sport? Yeah, let's start with the first part. So you have a new athletic director at Johns Hopkins, and sort of behind the curtains and behind the scenes, chatter from alumni, chatter from people within the game, Petro's job beyond this season was fodder for speculation as it was. I mean, I got a lot of texts from Hopkins guys, not Hopkins guys, leading up to the season. Hey, what do you think Petro has to do to keep his job? So that was part of the narrative going in anyway. So you have to take that into consideration. So new athletic director, he's also in the last year of his contract. The team had brought in some good recruits over the years. A lot of them just had panned out. And so you're looking at recruiting classes which are ranked amongst the best nationally, but the recruits, you know, you get the, the, these guys as juniors and seniors, you know, like, hey, he's a third midfielder, he's a third-string goalie, he's like the fifth defenseman. These guys aren't really playing and didn't really make an impact. And then you couple it with the worst start they had in the history of the program. Their best player, Joey Epstein, wasn't even close to himself. I think if he was healthier Maybe it swings another game. Maybe they're more competitive. Maybe it makes a difference. Um, but, you know, it, it was sort of a perfect storm of events. I really thought he would get another year because the season never even got to play out. But they made that decision. Um, I get it from a business standpoint. We're all graded on performance. And we're starting now to see a trend in lacrosse where, Brand coaches can get fired if they're not winning, and that was not always the case. You, you kind of saw it when Dom Sarge was pushed out of Virginia, and like Petro, Sarge was a national championship-winning coach. He was very well-respected amongst his peers, but their salaries have gone up. I mean, you, you know that you know Desco and Gary Gate among the top-paid lacrosse coaches in the country. I think Petromala was in that boat, too, and lacrosse is the flagship at Johns Hopkins. But we're now kind of moving into a world now where I wouldn't say they're held to the same standard as football and basketball coaches, but there is more onus on winning, where before it was graduate your kids, stay out of the headlines, and stay out of the bad headlines, the things that make lacrosse look bad for the wrong reasons, and you'll likely keep your job if you know, you're kind of doing the bare minimum. Um, things are things are changing on that front, but you know impact on the game. He's a Rushmore player. He's the greatest defenseman of all time. He's one of the four or five greatest players to ever play college lacrosse. He's the only guy to win a championship as a player and a coach. He led Hopkins to two titles. And when you talk about Dave Petromala and Johns Hopkins, um, to me, you know you're talking about like a, a Babe Ruth for the New York Yankees. I mean, 
It is a storied glory program, and this is the guy who, to me, is the face of it, will be the face of it forever. Our buddy Anish Ra from ESPN joining us here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. So, Anish, as somebody who has been immersed in calling college football games for a number of years here, you understand as well as anybody the impact of the game. I'm not breaking any news here to anybody to tell you how big football is. And while other sports are trying to get back and trying to formulate plans, I think what we're finding out here is how much football is going to anchor this and how important it's going to be to play football whenever that is psyche-wise, financially, all things considered here. So as we step back and look at this, how important is football going to be to send the message that America is, you know, we're not going to quite move on from this anytime soon, but we're making the steps to do so? Huge, huge. We need sports right now. And I don't say that cavalierly, hey, let's get everybody together on a field. Let's have first pitch. Let's bring back the NBA tomorrow. No, I mean... Listen, we all have to do our job right now. There's certainly something bigger at play. But normally in our world, when something bad from the outside has crept in, when uh, there has been some kind of chaos, there has been some kind of disaster, uh, there has been uh, a wound in our collective psyche, in our national psyche, sports has been our diversion. It's been what we go to to heal. Um, if only for a few minutes, if only for a few hours. And right now, I just think we need that. I just think we need a diversion. I think we need to just kind of you know, turn off the politics and turn off the news and just kind of throw ourselves into something that doesn't matter. Um, but it does matter right now. And so I think just from a healing standpoint, as a return to normalcy, sports can often be, you know, that, that vanguard. And I, I go back to 2001, you know, um, in the wake of the 9-11 attacks, first game in New York State was Syracuse and Auburn. Um, I think it was the first football game in the state of New York, it right? Was, Syracuse yep. and Auburn at the right. Carrier Dome. And that started the healing process. Hey, we can kind of come together, get together, we can celebrate, we can cheer again when Piazza hits the home run against the Braves, when the Mets you know, are playing in New York City for the first time since the 9-11 attacks. You know, that mattered. That, that meant something when the Yankees in 2001, last leg of the dynasty, you know, somehow, some way, you know, beat the A's, the Jeter's flip, and then take down the mighty 116-win Mariners and, you know, push an Arizona team to seven games and the final inning, um, you know, kind of gave the city, it kind of gave the state just a little bit of an escape. And, boy, Brent, we, we, we need that escape right now. I think it just sends a message, hey, things may not be normal just yet, but uh, we're moving in that direction, and I think people need to see a little bit of hope, and and that's why I think sports needs to come back. Now, uh, the financial aspect of it is, is, I think we know the numbers. We're not immune to this by any stretch, but it just goes to show you how it all funnels and goes through the rest of the sports. We saw Cincinnati get rid of soccer yesterday. There's rumbles. More universities are just going to take this situation to say, look, we can't have all these sports. We can't do it. So I think that's going to be an unfortunate circumstance here. But however and whenever they get back, I know Chris Fowler was saying yesterday, maybe not till February, football's got to be played, not only for our psyche and everything you just said there, but financially it's it's critical. It anchors college athletics. College football anchors all of college athletics. And you think about what just happened with the cancellation of March Madness. 
Does that impact the high major and the power five programs? Absolutely. But boy, does it really hit the mid-majors. And now if you take away football, all of a sudden, you know, teams are going to have to, I should say schools are going to have to slash the budget. And I know a lot of people are out there saying, well, some of these programs, they make so much money, they make so much money. How come they don't have cash on hand? Well, now think about it. The optics right now in college athletics, if you're an athletic department, you're sitting on a lot of money and you're not paying these kids, that doesn't look so good. So whatever comes in, a lot of these schools are funneling it back into coaching salaries and the locker rooms and the state-of-the-art facilities and practice facilities and uniforms. They're trying to spend that money, so a lot of teams may not have as much as you think you know, sitting there in the bank, sitting there in their coffers, to help them through the situation. So um, I think for for college athletics and for somebody like me who covers college athletics, is it something I worry about? Absolutely, because, uh, again, the loss of a football season could have a devastating impact on the rest of college athletics. But I think in some way, shape, or form, it may not be on the timetable we want. It may not be in the format that we're used to. Uh, it may not be the schedule we thought that some of these teams are going to play, but I think they're going to figure out at least some way to have some kind of football season. And like you said, it, it may not be in August and September. It may be pushed further out, maybe pushed further up. I don't know. I saw somewhere today that you know they want to make a decision on football by the end of May, which I saw that and I said, man, I mean, uh, that's not that far away. Do, do we wait a little bit, right? Anish, uh on a different uh, challenge, as a parent of a toddler, I saw that you were you were seeking some potty training tips uh, on the social media. How's that going? You know, surprisingly well the last couple of days. Knock on wood. Good to hear. The first, Good to the hear. first few days, I am telling you, it was hell. And you know this; you've been through it. It was absolute hell. And I spent more time in the bathroom with my daughter. <laughs> and I said, what, you know, and, and it's, we're in a situation now in our house. We have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and we have a dog who is 12 going on 13, who is a German shepherd and, you know, kind of not doing so well and has had a lot of health issues, one of them being incontinence. And so I feel like I'm yelling at everybody <laughs> oh, to take a poop. Oh, and man. for the dog, it's, hey, don't take a poop in the house. Make sure you go outside and make sure you take care of your business. So I'm trying to let her out, you know, it seems like every 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm telling my daughter, hey, you know, don't go on the floor. Don't go on the carpet. Make sure you go in the potty. And so that is my universe right now, man. There's an expletive for it that I can't say on radio, but you know what it is. I've often said that when people ask me advice uh, on kids, and uh, what I'll immediately say is, or you're going to have pets, too, because you're going to spend a extraordinary amount of time on poop. I mean, it really, that's what it comes down to. It's unbelievable, unbelievable how much you deal with. Yeah, it really yeah. is. And then so, you know, that that's kind of been what we've been through, but we, we figured out a system. You know, for number one, you get one candy. For number two, you get two. And after... You know, a couple of accidents, um, but with some success, too. Now, like she tells us, and, you know, we're on day four, and today's been the best day today. Yesterday was pretty good, too. So we are progressing in the right direction, and we've got frozen underwear and Minnie Mouse underwear and Baby Shark underwear. 
which is a huge carrot for her. You're so on the right we're, track. We're, we're, we're covered on those bases. You're yes. on the right track. Rewards have to be, you know, not only, as you mentioned, candy for certain things, but you got to have goals. you got you working right. towards the goals. You're on the right path. I like what you're doing here. Keep it up. And I will say this, Anish, in all seriousness, what you said at the beginning of this interview is was kind words on what I'm getting to do here on the radio. I, I'll tell you this. I... When my daughter was, she was a little younger than your daughter, but I was out of work for about seven months and thought it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I got to spend that time with her. And as you're finding out, you don't get this time back, particularly at this special age they're at. So I hope you're making the most of not getting to call sports and be out there doing what you love to do. And I hope you get to do that soon, but cherish this time you get, even though you're dealing uh, with poop and, and things that aren't fun, but you're going to look back on these days fondly, trust me. Yeah, no, you know, and you bring up a great point, and, and I've tried to do that, and uh, to, to be perfectly honest, you know, in this business, it's so easy to define yourself by what you do for a living, because everybody who doesn't know you and everybody on the outside defines you by what you do for a living. And I've always tried to tell myself, hey, you know, you're a father first and a husband first and a brother and a son and all those things. And it's one thing to say that, and it's one thing to say that to yourself, say that out loud. But when a piece of you that that you do feel has value and that you do feel uh, gives yourself value is, is, is taken away from you, even for a short period of time, you know, there is a void. And I'd be lying if I said I'm not struggling with that right now. Um, where it's kind of like, hey, I'm not doing anything. Am I? Am I useless? Am I, uh, you know, still able to, um, you know, that, that's a part of you that's kind of vanished. And it's not that you don't like spending time with your family and and watching your kid grow up. Trust me, I'm thankful for that time. But I, I'd be lying if I said that it, that it wasn't a struggle. And you know, I don't think I'm alone in that boat. And that's why I said I think it's it's great that you get to do this because. Um, as much as the people in Central New York need it, Brent, I'm sure you you probably need this too for your own sanity. Oh yeah, absolutely. There, there's no question about it. But you keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be out there calling games. I hope sooner rather than later. Keep up the good work. Always great to hear your voice. And let's catch up down the road, my friend. All right, you got it, pal. See you.